There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irvin Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Hello to the listeners of the Victor Davis Hansen Show and welcome to this Friday edition. Um, We are going to have a look today at some political stories of the current events. So this Friday, we're, we're going to focus on all of the court cases um, that we've been seeing lately in the news. But first, let's have a word from our sponsor. Welcome back. And I would like to remind our listeners that Victor... Davis Hansen is the Martin and Illy Anderson Senior Fellow in Classics and Military History at the Hoover Institution, and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Hi, Victor. How are you doing today? Very good, Sammy. Very good. Yeah. Well, we have a lot of court cases going on, but I was hoping even before we got into the court cases and maybe some reflections broadly on what they mean, uh, we could say or talk a little bit about the new book out and giving press to Miranda Devine's Laptop from Hell book. Uh, Very fascinating and a wonderful picture on the front of the illustrious Hunter Biden but you have anything, any reflections? I just have one question and then I'll let you say whatever you want. How did she get the access to so much information about that laptop? She had a copy of it? She was within the larger media team that when the owner of the computer store notified, I guess the FBI, but he also notified the media and the New York Post was trusted. So there were people in, in the New York Post that had access to the hard drive. And then when they started to publish individual columns, that's when, remember, this was just weeks before the election. So then the entire mainstream media, both print and Silicon Valley, colluded to smother that story. But they didn't take away her access, obviously. She had it. So what she's been doing is methodically going through these emails and then following these um, strands. And I have not read the book, but from her appearances on Fox and from her weekly columns, you get the impression that it's a pretty damning case that Hunter Biden was, A, funneling money from people like the Russians, the Ukrainians, and the Chinese into a Biden sort of affiliated, quote unquote, investment fund and whose only reason to be was the Biden name, i.e. that Joe Biden was first vice president. And then in his retirement, there were still rumors that he was going to run. So he had political capital and they wanted influence. And the $64,000 question is, 
to what degree was money given to Mr. 10% or the big guy? And some of the new revelations suggest that many of the Biden's costs to their rather three-home lavish lifestyle were borne by Hunter Biden's financial group. I guess what we're asking then is, to what degree did Joe Biden get money from his son's dubious grifting? To what degree did he report that income to the IRS? And to what degree did he do something in return, i.e. for the Chinese? And now I'll just finish with a very interesting question. We heard for two and a half years from the likes of James Comey, Andrew McCabe, indirectly Robert Mueller, but explicitly from James Clapper, the ex-director of national intelligence, and John Brennan, the former director of the CIA, they used adjectives like treasonous and nouns like traitor in in crafting this phony collusion hoax that was based on this fraudulent dossier. What are they going to say now when their 50 former CIA, including those two, signed a letter when this thing came out in the post that this was likely Russian disinformation? And remember, they had no access to it. They didn't know anything about it. They were asked by the Biden team to prostitute themselves and use the currency of their name or title or former employment to discredit. And that came up in the debate, the second debate in which Trump did very well. And Trump and Biden said, well, you know, we have 50 experts. And then he used their names and titles to discredit the idea that this was accurate, that this was supposedly then in a really Orwellian fashion, real collusion with the Chinese and the Russians and the Ukrainians was turned into proof that Donald Trump was colluding with the Russians as if this was a Russian disinformation strategy used on his behalf. That is a total lie. And yet this is why, you know, I've had a lot of correspondence lately. Why don't you just get off the Pentagon, retired generals? Why don't you get off the CIA? Do we have to hear Comey's name again, Brennan? Yeah, you do have to hear it. Because when you look at the people, Joe Biden, Robert Mueller, Robert Mueller knew from the second week of his investigation that there was no collusion, yet he went ahead with it. And they leaked and leaked. And then he staggered the firings of Lisa Page and Peter Strzok to avoid any suggestion that they had had an illicit relationship and were completely biased and were biased in the operation of their investigation. And then you look at Comey and Clapper and Brennan and McCabe. And these are people who lied under oath, who lied to the public, and there were no consequences. And yeah. so, this, so this thing is dynamite. Will it matter? Probably not, because yeah. Ben Rhodes, the deputy national security advisor to Barack Obama, summed it up well when they asked, how did you push an Iran deal that was a treaty without even going to the Senate? You bypassed the Senate and you had Republican idiots complacent Republicans or, I don't know, colluding Republicans that allowed you to do it. Mm. And how did you do it? He said, well, we created an echo chamber. We gave out the narrative and then the crazy reporters picked it up and we said, it was your narrative, not ours. You're brilliant people. Then they came back to us to confirm what we created. And when they called it an echo chamber, he did. And he said, you know, these reporters are 30 and they know nothing. They don't know nothing. So he had contempt for his appeasers. And so what I'm getting is this should be an article of impeachment 
discussion right now. I hope it is when the Republicans win back the House, which I think they're going to do. And I don't yeah, think that... anybody, I don't think we want to hear Paul Ryan say it's time to be sober and judicious and not lower ourselves to what the Democrats did twice. No, you've lost all deterrence. If you find out that the Biden family and Joe Biden was quid pro quoing with foreign powers, all of whom these two of three were hostile to the United States, then yes, that is a grounds for impeachment. Yeah. So that was my question. Where are the Republicans on this? Because this information is so damning. Just because they don't have the House, they don't have, you know, yeah, they can't. That's, they can't. there's a, nothing they can do. They're six or seven so. seats short. They can't, they can't introduce them. They can't even call an investigation. They won't be yeah. able to do it till January 20th of 2023. Yeah. So it's going to be a year and, I don't know, five weeks before they can yeah. do anything. And let's hope they can do it then. Yeah. And maybe they won't. Maybe there'll be people who will say, you know, we've got to go to the center and we've got to be sober and judicious. And, you know, those impeachments yeah. reflected badly on the Democrats and the Democrats are going to say to them, well, you know, we didn't really mean it. There were some firebrands that kind of took over. There was kind of a hysterical period. You guys had that January. They just call it even, okay? Yeah. And look what you guys did with Clinton. You impeached him, and then you lost the House in 98. You really want to do that to yourself? Now, I'm not calling for an impeachment as a punitive, you know, gratuitous act. I'm just saying if there's evidence there, and I do not know that there is, but if there's evidence from Hunter Biden's own laptop confirmed by Bobolinsky and others, that Joe Biden received money indirectly or what via his son from foreign governments, and he did not register as a foreign lobbyist, and he did not pay taxes, then he should be impeached and removed. Yeah. And if the way that the Democrats are going, they may not just lose the Senate, they may lose a supermajority. I mean, they may give the Republicans a supermajority of 60 votes. If they do that, they're in trouble because they could convict him for the first time in American history. But we'll see. Yeah. It's a long yeah. way to next year. Yeah, I would like to talk about all the salacious pictures and, and emails on his laptop well, I'm sure too, that just to add a bit of sparse to the. I'm sure the, that some of the more lively and <laughs> audacious Republican congressmen, if there were an impeachment, would use Cicero's Praetor Audio or the technique of Profasis uh, mastered by Demosis, in which you said, I would not lower the standards of this reverend body, this revered <laughs> Senate, by showing pictures of Hunter Biden. We don't want to get into whether the Biden family knew that Hunter Biden had sort of strange, bizarre, creepy, sinister sexual relationships. He even <laughs> dated his fallen brother's, deceased brother's <laughs> wife, Cope. But we wouldn't mention that. It would be below. It would just be so undignified. And we wouldn't want to have any pictures of it. But this screen above you, it's just incidental. I didn't really know that they're on there. So we'll, it'll be a circus if, if they have it. It'd be an entertaining circus. All right. And so speaking of law, I think we better move on to all the court cases recently, the Kenosha and Kyle Rittenhouse, the SUV, otherwise known as Daryl Brooks, who ran over people. And Jesse Smollett also is in the yeah, news back in the recently. News. Yeah. So I would like to hear some of your reflections broadly on these you know, things about life, right? These are the absurdity. I wish our existence. Well, there's all a tie. There's a, there's a 
tie, and I think all of our listeners know that. So when you say Trayvon Martin's 2012 case, George Zimmerman, and then we go into 2014, Michael Ford, then we go further into the Jesse Smollett, and then we have Rittenhouse, and then we have Waukesha, and then we have the Aubrey case. The left has an agenda that does not start with the premise that it has an agenda that does not win 51% of the population. And when it's out in the open and not disguised and transparent as it is now, it polls about 35%, whether we're talking about critical race theory, the border, economic policy, inflation, energy, et cetera. Okay. And then Joe Biden is down to about 40%. So they look at events they haven't had a Katrina yet, but if it was a natural disaster, they would look at that too. They've tried to melt COVID for every political possible advantage. They weaponized it. When they got through with COVID, Donald Trump had not vaccinated one person, they said before Biden. I shouldn't say they said, Biden said before he became president. Biden did Operation Warp Speed. Biden did this. So my point is that they need these incidents then to leverage for political advantage. And that's what they do. So Trayvon Martin is walking suspiciously around apartment. George Zimmerman is a volunteer of the community security group of homeowners. He sees him. He calls it and said, there's a suspicious looking African-American man. And he calls, you know, calls it in. And then he walks over, they meet. And Trayvon, who's not just little Trayvon in a football uniform, eight years old or something, as the media suggested, but he's tall. I think he's six feet, he weighs 150 pounds, and he starts pounding George Zimmerman, who pulls out a gun to save himself and shoots him. Okay, that could have been a Latino, because George Zimmerman's mother was named Mesa from Peru. And he could have gone the whole identity politics route. He could have been easily called Jorge Mesa, Mesa rather than a Germanic right-wing sounding Zimmerman. But the New York Times knew he was half Hispanic, so they created a new word, white Hispanic. Notice that Barack Obama had as little or as much non-white blood, if I could use that archaic term, as George Zimmerman. But nobody in the New York Times said Barack Obama was a white black. No, it was only George Zimmerman. that was. So they did not want it brown on black, black on brown. They wanted a case to leverage. And then they Photoshop. They, I'm talking about the whole CNN, the media, the whole print media, Silicon Valley media, and cable television media, and the network news. And so they Photoshopped his injuries, which were quite manifest on his mugshot, so that you didn't quite see how much Trayvon had hit him. And then they took the 911 call and they selectively edited it so that he was emphasizing race in which he wasn't. And then they had that circus. And then, of course, he was, by juries of his peers, he was found innocent. He had a right of self-defense. And then everything went nuts. Okay, Barack Obama waded knee-deep, just like he did in the Cambridge Henry Louis Gates thing. He came in and said, Trayvon is the, the son I never had. Okay, Bill Clinton during the OJ, you know, said Mrs. Simpson would be the second daughter I never had. What if he'd said that? 
So it was a very inappropriate thing to say. And then BLM started that hashtag Black Lives Matter. And the three of them, Quellars and Garza and the other woman, were basically, we forget this, but it's very important. They started that as sort of an LGBTQ Black advocacy because two of them were gay and they had been very prominent in their lesbianism and they were trying to have an advocacy. And you can find articles on the internet that says the LGBTQ roots of Black Lives Matter. And then that mushroomed and then it went dormant. And you had Charlottesville. We no need to get in that. That was an actual case. But we had before Charlottesville, excuse me, we had Michael Ford the Ferguson shooting. And the same thing happened. Michael Ford went in, a huge guy, went into a store, strong arm and humiliated the clerk, grabbed some cigarettes or cigarettes and stuff and just walked out with it. Then walked right down the street, sort of high on dope, supposedly. They call the police. Ferguson officer, Darren Wilson, sees him walking down, pulls over. Next thing they know, they're wrestling in the car. Ford is assaulting an officer. They wrestle with a gun. The gun goes off twice. Michael Brown runs and turns around finally and charges Officer Wilson, who shoots him five or six times in the front. So there's witnesses who say that he charged an officer. There's witnesses say they had a prior altercation. There's forensic evidence that substantiates that. There's ballistics that show that he was shot in his chest. It's pretty clear, but no. BLM and everybody, we get very unreliable people who say, no, he said, hands up, don't shoot, to the extent that cable news network anchors were putting their hands up, hands up, don't shoot. And that became kind of an academic thing where people did that. It was a total fabrication. They ruined that officer. So he was found innocent. And as in the Trayvon Martin, Eric Holder's DOJ went after him. They went after George Zimmerman. They did the whole nine yards. And guess what? Forget about double jeopardy and whether that's kosher to have the federal government use the word civil rights violations to duplicate a murder trial and put somebody in double jeopardy. But that's what they did again with Officer Wilson. And what did they find? They had everybody. They had the FBI. They had the DOJ. They had the community services people. And they found nothing. Nothing. Eric Holder said that the shooting was justified. Now, he said a lot of other things. But he said it was justified. And then we had a DA in St. Louis, if you remember. He said, I'm going to have my own investigation. He found nothing. Didn't matter. That was a BLM hashtag. And those two cases created BLM. That's how they got so famous. And then corporate money poured into it. And people thought, you know what? I'm kind of afraid of this group because they're a lot slicker than Jesse Jackson's Operation Push and the Rainbow Coalition that used to shake down corporations and Al Sharpton, they're refined, they're cultural Marxist. They are slick and they've got these and they're going to leverage every single case. So then we had the Juicy Smollett. Now think of that case. Here is this guy who's a fading star on was an empire that nobody watches. It had terrible ratings at the time of the incident. So he stages this guy. He hires two Nigerian residents that he said helped out on the set. And he, he was so stupid, he wrote him a check. And then they were filmed getting the necessary rope and bleach, except in a, you know, a hardware store. And he says that he was wandering around at two in the morning on the way home from 
a sandwich purchase, I guess, Subway or something. And guess what? Two white people in a very liberal neighborhood of Chicago with MAGA hats on said, hey, and they yelled at homosexual slur at him and they said, empire. <laughs> and then they threw bleach that I think freezes at the temperature that night. But for suddenly they defy the laws of chemistry and the bleach is not frozen, but <laughs> covers poor Juicy. So one hand on the cell phone to record it and one hand with a sandwich to eat it. He manages to have a rope put around his neck, which he keeps on as evidence. But then heroically, he kicked their ass, he said. He beats up these two or gets away from these two huge white devils. And then he comes home and then he calls the police. He's all upset. And what, what's the result of it? Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, the entire BLM movement. They all say that this is the cause celeb they've been waiting for. This is Trayvon and... Michael Brown on steroids. And from the very beginning, it was concocted. And they don't do anything to him. He's been charged, what, three and a half years ago? Nothing's ha Now he's finally coming to trial. It's a total fraud. And you know what that trial is going to be like. It's going to make OJ look like pikers. It's going to be a complete fraud. There was no... First of all, if you went down and got the biggest racist, MAGA racist, if such people exist, and you said to them, are you mad at Juicy Smollett and do you watch Empire? They would say, what the F? What is Empire? I have no idea what it is. Have you been <laughs> up to a Chicago, Tony, mixed diversity neighborhood? Where? You go out at two in the morning hunting for African-American? What? I mean, it's ridiculous. And then if you went into the most sophisticated mixed martial arts expert, maybe we could get Joe Rogan to say, Joe, have you ever seen a mixed martial arts expert have one hand with a phone and one with a sandwich and have a rope put around his neck and yet somehow punch and kick and knock away two big intruders? <laughs> so then we, okay. the piece of resistance is the two Nigerians then say, you know what, I'm not taking the fall for this phony thing. You know, so yeah. they kind of made, they kind of roughed up Jesse's eyes. So he had a genuine wound and said, you know what? The guy paid us off to stage it. Yeah. So, so now, I'm getting the farce of it all. So where is this all leading to though? Do you think they're going to, he's going to say that, well, he can't get, he's written them a check. So he said, oh, I wrote that. That check was just for training. They just, <laughs> I, and you know what? They, they're lying. They're just lying. They don't like me because uh, I didn't pay him enough for their, tips on, on working out. So they, and they were homophobic. And so they just came and attacked me and, and beat me up. And then, and I didn't know they were because I thought they were white because they had masks on. So I, I didn't know who it was. That's what he's going to say. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know any more than you that it was two Nigerians. I thought it was two white guys. I'm sorry. I jumped to conclusions. But they had MAGA hats on and they had white makeup around their eyes underneath their hoods or their masks. So what was I just think? Oh, I just yeah. assumed they were. And that's what his uh, it's going to be just as ridiculous as OJ. It's going to be the slip over he, the imagination. Begins. Yes. And he's going to be acquitted. <laughs> he's probably going to be acquitted. It's going to be a total joke. So, OK, Sammy, we're left with Rittenhouse. Yeah. So Rittenhouse yeah. is 17 years old and we're told the following. 
Kyle Rittenhouse, white supremacist, that's the president of the United States speaking now, and Kamala Harris, the vice president, nominees during the campaign. He crossed state lines, lines plural, and he carried an illegal weapon, and he was not of an age, being 17, so he was illegally carrying an illegal weapon. And then he went up to this completely dis distinct town in Wisconsin and shot up and killed three heroes, shot two lethally, wounded two, uh, one, and he was a white supremacist vigilante because he hated black people because the noble Antifa BLM people were there protesting peacefully the death of Mr. Blake, who was unwarrantly, unlawfully, unethically, unjustifiably murdered by the evil Kenosha white police. That was what we heard. I'm not exaggerating. And then when you break it down, you find out that Mr. Blake was at a former girlfriend's home trying to basically kidnap children to which he had no right to because there was a restraining order issued against him due to prior violence. He had a criminal record. When the police got there, they had no idea what was going on, except people were afraid of him. He had a knife. He struggled with the police. They saw he had the knife. Then he failed to stop, you know, as ordered. So he went into his he opened the door of his car and they thought he was going to get a gun. He turned around with it, carrying it, and they shot him and they shot him and they wounded him. And he's paralyzed, partially paralyzed. And that caused all of these riots. And they had a total investigation. Everybody found it was a justified, if I could use that harsh term, a justified, if not unfortunate shooting. So then what happened? We learned that Mr. Rittenhouse actually crossed one state line and that Aurora, Illinois is about 20 miles from Waukesha. So it's not like he went across the United States. And the gun that he was carrying was not with him. It was in Kenosha. Kenosha, yeah. Yes. So he went into Kenosha from Aurora, Illinois. The gun that he was carrying, he was not carrying. It was sitting in Kenosha. His friend had bought it for him. It was not an illegal gun. It was not a short barrel AR-15 type Smith & Wesson version. It was a long barrel. There was no law against a 17-year-old carrying that openly in public. And so what do we have? Lie, 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 lie. And the people chasing him, one was a convicted pedophile with a number of felonies who was let out that day from a mental institution after he supposedly wanted to kill himself, Mr. Rosenbaum. Then we had the other fellow, and he was trying to beat Mr. Rittenhouse with a skateboard, which is kind of a common tactic by Antifa. They seem to like to take skateboards and then use them as weapons, dual purpose them. And then we had the final person who, this was very funny. I mean, not funny in a tragic situation. He's a prosecutor's witness. And he says under oath that the gun was not pointed at him by Rittenhouse until he pointed a gun. And then we had an African-American person who comes out of nowhere and runs over and jumps on his head and Rittenhouse misses him and he takes off. He was a felon. And so we had three felons and then one person with a, a repeated arrest and they were trying to kill the guy. And then we had the trial. And this is proof of white supremacy. The Washington Post said that. There was no evidence. Even the Washington Post said there was no evidence for that later. Joe Biden just completely libeled that kid. None at all. And so what did we learn? 
We learned that the prosecutor said, well, if he had any guts, he would have turned around. And there was at least 12 people, if you count them in that film, he would have fought them fist to fist like a man. He didn't. (laughs) Yeah, he's supposed to do that. He's a coward. And then we were told, ah, you know, he was talking about pleading the Fifth Amendment. And the judge even interrupted. So there's nothing wrong with pleading the Fifth Amendment. That's a constitutional right. Now stop that. And then they said, and what were they doing wrong? You know, this is guys walking around. Yeah, maybe he was cleaning graffiti. Maybe he was putting out fires. But what's a little fire, a little arson? The judge said, arson? That's a felony. He was starting. So the, the crazy judge was freaked out by it. And then in the aftermath of the Alex Baldwin tragic shooting of pointing a so-called, quote unquote, empty gun, he takes up an AR-15 like weapon and points it at the jury with his hand on the trigger. <laughs> and I'm what the, and he's, that's supposed to say, how does it feel, juryman? And they're thinking, who the F is this guy? He is nuts. He's crazier than anybody in this entire court. And then it poses the question, <laughs> did, did these guys never want to prosecute Rittenhouse because they were so incompetent? They put a witness on the stand and said, this is our star witness who admitted he pointed a gun at Rittenhouse yeah. before he got a gun pointed back at him and shot, shot him in the arm. So my point is, were they were just so incompetent? because they didn't want to try the case or were they losing the case and they wanted to screw it up so they can get a mistrial and a second try or were they stupid? But it was very strange. And when it was all over a white on white violence, having nothing to do with race suddenly became a metaphor for endemic white on black pathology. So you had all of these African-American elites and left-wing elites saying, this is horrible. It shows you how racist America. Then two days later, we go to Waukesha. And what happens there? Mr. Brooks, lifelong 20-year felon. I guess there must be something called black privilege, because if you look at his rap sheet, 40-some pages, and ask yourself, why was this man habitually, serially, repeatedly let out? What explains it? Were they afraid of him? Do they feel that he was disadvantaged? He had all these sob stories he told the authorities every time that anybody objected. Who knows? But the point I'm making is he was let out, what, two days before after attempting the same type of running somebody down and trying to kill them. And apparently he'd done that more than once. And he was on a thousand dollar bail by this crazy DA who had, (laughs) I'm not making this up, Sammy, the DA had earlier said to the Milwaukee Sentinel that I'm not going to put career criminals in prison and I'm not have them pay bail and I'm going to let them out. You know what? Some people are going to get killed, but that's a, an acceptable price to pay to be more fair and just. Acceptable price for whom to pay? Who's supposed to pay that price? The DA? No. The poor people of Wakusa? Yes. And so then the guy gets in his car and he races through a Christmas parade and mows down, what, 65, mm. pe- 66 people, 68 people, kills yeah. six, a little boy, innocent people, just trying to enjoy themselves, 62 injured, six killed. And what does the media do for hour upon hour that Sunday and Monday? They did not report the truth. They said he was fleeing from an altercation. And we're supposed to think, hmm. Poor man, he was probably jumped by somebody. And then in defending himself, he tried to get away, but he took the wrong turn and he tried to avoid people. And then everybody said, well, 
I saw the tape. He deliberately went through a barrier. He could have taken any side street. He kept on. He was trying to treat human life like bowling pins, like he was a bowling ball. He kept hunting for them. And then how did they report it finally? They said it was like a a mad love bug or Herbie, the, the animated car. The SUV killed people. The collision killed people. The accident killed people. And so something that had nothing to do with race and the propensity of guns in general to be dangerous is considered an indictment of white racism and the gun culture. And then another case, two days later, has something to do with a African-American career criminal who killed mostly white people and said that basically on his social media when he had posted and advised people to go out and hit white people and had celebrated about any notice in the world seeing when white people were shrinking or their demography was been reduced and posted things with Hitler about anti-Semites. They didn't say a thing about that. And mm-hmm. so this is a sick media. It's not a media anymore. It's a fused apparat of the democratic progressive project. And they look at the news cycle and they say to themselves, how can I lie and promote a left-wing message without looking too ridiculous. But they jumped the shark this time. It is completely unbelievable what they've done. And Joe Biden said he called Rittenhouse a white supremacist. He conveyed his heartfelt sympathies to the Blake family. He didn't say a word to the families in Waukesha. And he said that there were too many assets, or I don't know what the excuse was why he wouldn't go there. The real reason he wouldn't go there is A, he doesn't really care about the dead and the wounded and the families. And two, if he were to go there, there might be people who would tell him that. And so (laughs) it's a very sick culture we're in. The legal system has just been completely weaponized. Yeah, but it must not be something all that new. Because remember, and I know you're going to think I'm stepping maybe too far away from the particular instance, but remember Camus, the stranger, while you're talking, I'm thinking, okay, we've read about this before. He talks about the absurdity of trying a guy for killing somebody, but the jury and the prosecutor are more interested in the fact that he didn't cry at his mother's funeral, right? And so the point is just how absurd the court case could be, you know, that it's not. Oh, really I understand about, that. Yeah. I understand the Lindbergh case yeah. and Sacco, Sacco Vanzetti, the Dreyfus case. So these court cases can be occasions for real social, political, economic fault lines in a society. And mm-hmm. they can be adjudicated that way and they can show bias. But these things are farces. There yeah. was no issue in America about black on white that made Mr. Brooks a representative of that issue. This was a completely gratuitous effort to kill people. He was a murderer. He was a Mm. lifelong felon. There was no redeeming value in him. He had no political agenda other than hatred. And you know what was very funny? BLM, a regional person, I think his name was Mays. He came right out and said, this is the start of revolution. We even had a low-level Democratic operative, low levels meaning very minor, but nevertheless, she posted and said that this was karma, and even the children that died were payback for Rittenhouse. These are just bizarre. There's nothing there. It's like the OJ yeah. trials, a total farce. 
Yeah, you know, and, and I think people. Um, I hope my listeners agree, our listeners and not mine, but I hope that anybody listening in agrees that this is cumulative. You get Juicy Smollett and you get the lies about Trevon case and the lies about Michael Ford case. And you put that in the context of the lies about Charlottesville, that Trump praised white supremacists and didn't say a word about, you know, when he said there were good people on both sides, except read the entire transcript. And that was completely distorted. And then you look at the Duke lacrosse and then the Virginia fraternity so-called rape case and the OJ case and the Tawana Brawley case and the nooses that are found everywhere. I remember that NASCAR driver that he got a garage, you know, a little pool in his garage, a rope. And somebody said, I saw that. And that was the African-American driver said that was proof that when he saw it in the garage, that, that was a noose. And so my point is, the common theme is that there are not enough oppressors for the oppressed. There's not enough victimizers for the victim. So they have to create them, the media and the social activists. And they do. And they make them up all the time. And that's the fuel that keeps us going. It will go until somebody says it has no effect on me. Just lie, lie. It will not affect me. And I think we saw in the Virginia election, we saw with even people like Bill Maher that was sick of it. We see people, Dave Chappelle is sick of it. We see a lot of Latino voters in California and Texas that are sick of it. People are getting very, very sick of it. And we're at the point now that if they keep this up, the left, both their policies and these psychodramas, I think we're going to see the largest defeat in American political history in this midterm election. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, I had two more questions, but I don't know if they're really answerable or you're kind of answering them, how we get out of this quandary of looking at race before the individual. I mean, how is somebody going to start a new doctrine that we judge individuals, we don't judge their race, right? It has to be you just forget abstractions, just to forget tribes, you forget stereotypes and just treat people as people. Yeah. And that would require white people to be fair to some of the complaints against the white elite. White people stop condescending and stop ordering black people around and start telling them that they have to be left wing or they have to be anti-abortion or they have to be in favor of their particular transgender or abortion. That would just say, you know what, you're a unique individual and your color is, is irrelevant. It's not essential to who you are. You can vote for whomever you want, but I'm not going to tell you, you ain't black as Joe Biden did. I'm not going to tell any more corn pop stories. I'm not going to say, hey, junkie. Again, I've beaten this into the ground, but I do believe that most of the things that we've been talking about the last 40 minutes are created or enabled or fueled by white, wealthy left-wing people, primarily on the coast, and they have some inability, unwillingness, unease, any adjective you want. They do not want to go out and mix it up with people that are not like themselves. And they Mm -hmm. fabricate this entire abstraction. Oh, Rittenhouse. Oh, we're going to call it, you know, an SUV crash, but I just don't want to be around black people. I'm afraid. I just feel that 
you know, that I'm, I've got my cursus and norm and my kids are in prep school and they're all going to go to Harvard or Yale or Stanford and they're going to have beautiful, wonderful, wealthy, sophisticated, liberal, progressive lives. And I just can't endanger that. So I'll, I'll go pick on the forklift driver from Bakersfield. He's the enemy. Tom Wolf wrote about this, what, 1965 Mau Mau catchers and that Leonard Bernstein party when he basically summed it all. It was a brilliant essay in New York Magazine. I think it became a book. Remember, he just said that all of these wealthy upper east side Manhattan multimillionaires and artsy wartsy people that they called in the Black Panthers. And, you know, that was 55 years ago. And then they just yeah. oohed and awed over him. But don't get too close. We support you. I like that leather jacket. He looks cool. Oh, you have Fidel Castro sunglasses. Ooh, but you know what? Uh, and I'll give you 300, 500, 6,000. I'll give you all this money. And th that's what they did. But I don't want to be, you know, I'm not going to put my kid in a public school in Harlem and you're not going to be coming over to my house and hanging around with me. Yeah. And that, and so the, when people just don't treat people like people and they don't feel comfortable. And again, I think it has something to do with the end of muscular labor and physicality and confidence that you can never be confident as a human being unless you have some confidence that you're doing something physical with nature. You're mm -hmm. pruning a tree, you're fixing a car, you're cleaning your home, whatever it is, just that you have confidence that you're a physical being and you're more than just an intellectual or an academic or yeah. a thinker. And you meet people who may be brutish, but you have a commonality with them and they respect you and you respect them because of that. But when you're isolated like some drone insect and you're innervated, they spot that and they ridicule you and you know they'll ridicule you. So then you overcompensate and become artificially sympathetic. Then they see <laughs> that that's insincere. Then you see that yeah. they don't appreciate your liberality. Then they see, what the hell do you think I should? And there you're off to the races. Yeah, sure. And they ruffle and smooth their moral feathers on all yeah. these occasions. Yeah, Clean. you know. I wanted to remind um, your listeners of your website, victorhanson.com, and it's called The Blade of Perseus, just so you know when you get there. And yes, we would we like- cut off, We cut off the heads of Medusas every week. <laughs> and we are going to talk a little bit about Kamala Harris, but first let's have a word from our sponsor. <laughs> Welcome back. And I would like to also remind people that Victor has social media, Facebook at VD Hansen's Cup on Facebook. There's a Victor Davis Hansen fan club that is not part of what we run, but it's an independent and it has lots of great links to Victor's um, lectures and his podcasts and articles. And he is also available or you can connect with him on Twitter at VD Hansen and on Parlor at Victor Davis Hansen. And Victor, so after all of that legal legalese, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Kamala Harris. And she seems to be, and the Democrats from everything I can see seem to be kind of acknowledging and uncomfortable that she's the weak link. 
here. And we haven't really, I mean, everybody can kind of see her when she has her press conferences and they're often failures or she falls into laughing horribly or, and doesn't seem to really have the ability to answer questions seriously. And so we're all a little bit uncomfortable with the idea that she was the first female president for 85 minutes, but she, there's more to her story than that. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about it, just how weak of a link she is. Well, (laughs) (laughs) okay. That's like saying, do you want to put a noose around your neck and jump off the bridge onto a bunch of rocks? (laughs) I mean, where do you begin? It's just, it's a total lie. It's, it's about as honest as old Joe Biden from Scranton, the working <laughs> man's every man. I mean, her father was on the Stanford campus as a Caribbean-born economist, PhD, okay? So he was the elite of elite Stanford professor. I don't think a Stanford professor is the elite elite, but a lot of people do. Her mother was a PhD, an Indian immigrant. So she grew up with two PhDs in Palo Alto. They got a divorce when she was seven or eight. Out of that came the homeless uh, person who was bust and moved to Berkeley. But in fact, the matter was her mother was a cancer researcher with a PhD. In her, so she was not poor. She was not deprived of cultural stimulation. She was um, not a member of the black lower class. She was like Obama. Obama went to prep school. His white grandmother paid his whole tab. Yeah. And I could go on and on about people who uh, are of mixed ancestry and very privileged and elite who compensate by suggesting that white people did a lot of terrible things about them. And there's a long history of that. The most angry African-American people are mostly in the, among the left are in the professions and they're highly compensated and their entire lives associated and thrived with people who were not African-American. Okay. Out of that, she gets her degree at Howard. She goes to law school. I think it was UC, and I know my listeners will correct me. I'm off the top of my head. I think it was UC Law School, Hastings. And she's a young, semi-attractive woman, and she hooks up with Willie Brown, the mayor of San Francisco, the famed speaker of the California Assembly, the guy who knows everybody in the Democratic Party in a state that is run by the Democratic Party and run out of San Francisco. Mm. And she becomes his consort paramour, moves in with him. He's married still. There's a huge, I don't know, 30-year, 40-year age difference, no matter. He fixes it. He puts her on highly lucrative boards. Anybody knows anything about California politics knows that we're one of the few states that has hundreds of positions, state board of equalization, state fire board, state this board, state that board that pay, you know, 150000 a year and they don't do anything. But they're designed for sinecures for retiring legislators and the children of the connected. Okay. So she becomes city attorney election. Then she becomes the county of San Francisco attorney. And then she becomes, uh, she says that she's, you know, a pragmatic African-American DA. She's not a Soros DA. So she's got to win all of this money. And she starts, you know, going after truant children. Okay, fine. She goes after African-American parents whose children didn't. She goes after marijuana possessors. 
she is sort of the new Bill Clinton type Democrat. And yeah. she gets elected to the attorney general. And then Barbara Boxer drops out and retires. And she takes that Senate seat. After, I mean, it's a winning ticket. Nobody's ever heard of her. Nobody's ever outside the Bay Area. All they know is she's young and she's black and she's an attorney and she claims she's middle of the road. She becomes a Senate. She puts her finger in the air and says, I now am a statewide office holder and I'm going to be very left wing. I'm going to follow my model will be Barack Obama. And so she's in the Senate and then bang, bang, bang. She's now in the 2020 race to get rid of the awful, hated, demonic, devilish Trump. And she's considered one of the leaders. She has one rally that seems okay, but then she has, so people start to hear her. To hear her is not to like her because she <laughs> chuckles. She laughs at the wrong time in the wrong place in the wrong manner. She's a liar. She says that Juicy Smollett is an example of how this country is racist. Juicy Smollett. First, to jump in on that, she says that the Rittenhouse case shows that we have more work. So think about that. Somebody, She goes into the Ferguson. She's kind of like Susan Rice in the mm -hmm. sense that she lies all the time. Just like Susan Rice lied about Benghazi, she lied about weapons of mass destruction. You know, every yeah. time the Obama administration wanted somebody to lie, poor Susan Rice was wheeled out to lie. Well, Kamala yeah. Harris did that. And she's an, not a nice person. And that the voters picked that up. Not the right-wing voters, the Democratic liberal voters. And she got zero delegates. And she crashed and burned. And that's where she'd be today as a joke in the Senate, except something happened that nobody anticipated. May 25th of 2020, after she was, you know, gone from the race and Joe Biden was the nominee, de facto nominee, the convention hadn't happened. George Floyd was killed. There was riots. Andrew Cuomo was at the crest. He'd want, you know, he was on his way to an Emmy. He was a brilliant Andrew Cuomo who snubbed Trump's uh, Javits Center COVID tent city hospital. He didn't need the hospitals. He was screaming and yelling about Trump hadn't given enough ventilators. And he, they loved his press conferences. And they thought he would be vice president. He would have been. But we had 120 days of rioting, which she kind of egged on, remember. She said, I will bet, let's bail out these noble protesters. I mean, trying to burn down police precincts, federal courthouses, St. John's Church, 14,000 arrests. She was out of the picture, but she wasn't out of the picture. So Joe Biden was under enormous pressure. Claiborne came to him and said, hey, you would have lost the whole nomination. He was right, too. South Carolina and the black vote came out and got rid of Buttigieg and Warren and got you as the old time liberal civil rights era, moderate Democrat. We did not. I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. Buttigieg's campaign ran a focus group with three African-American groups and found out that they had severe reservations about mm -hmm. voting for a gay man. And so he was not going to win the black bull. I mean, people were critical, but I'm not making that up. I'm just reflecting what Buttigieg himself did. He yeah, ran he the focus up. group and that's what he yeah. found. And people did not want to vote for Elizabeth Warren. She was all putting as well. So Biden won and Claiborne said, okay, George Floyd, riot, da-da, 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 black vote. We'll come out. We'll get the left to come out. 
and but we have an IOU. And so Bernie Sanders and Warren and the AOC people came to Biden and said, you're an empty vessel. We know that. I'm, I'm sort of ad-libbing. And you're going to carry this hard left thing across the finish line now. We're going to use you because we'll come out and vote. If you don't do it, we're not going to vote. And you're going to lose. We don't care anyway because we've got our own agenda. You don't believe in anything, but you better carry it. So he said, okay, I'll go hard left. And then Claiborne and the African-American community said, we made you. You were going nowhere. As soon as we supported you, you won big in South Carolina. You went on to win the rest of the primaries almost. You won Nevada, et cetera. Okay, we want an African-American on the vice president. Job Biden said, hmm, I'll trump that. I'll get an African-American woman. Well, when he said that, all of a sudden, poor Andrew Cuomo and everybody said, well, what about Andrew? Where are we going to get somebody? Well, they had, who were they going to pick? Stacey Abrams? Maybe they Susan could Rice. Out. Yeah, what, the virtual president who goes around the country saying she's really the governor of what, Georgia? She says on the first thing she opens her mouth, she says, oh, the Republicans are subverting democracy by claiming the the elections are fraudulent. Second thing she says is, I was fraudulently a victim of uh, election engineering and I lost. I'm really the governor of Georgia. So nobody wanted her. She wrote, you know, kind of pornographic novels. It's nuts. And then maybe Maxine Waters, you know, in her 80s. Who else? <laughs> I mean, this is not the days of really brilliant black women like Barbara Jordan, right? Barbara Jordan would be a one, Ch- Shirley Chisholm that ran for president. These were self-made, articulate, brilliant black women, but not in this generation. Yeah. And so there was nobody left. And so somebody said Kamala Harris and Biden said, well, team said, uh-oh, she called Joe Biden a racist. She said Tara Reid should be believed. This is the woman who claimed that Joe Biden digitally penetrated her when he was a staffer. Virtual rape. And what are we going to do? So, you know, Kamala Harris made that ritual media circuit where she said, kind of, sort of, do believe Joe Biden now, kind of, sort of, don't believe Tara Reid that she was sexual, kind of, sort of, believe that Joe Biden was not a racist. I wasn't really that little girl who had to be bust and endured all that racism because of people like Joe Biden. Forget that. Yeah. Joe Biden is a wonderful man. Okay. And that's how we got her. Yeah. And that's it. So then we put her in there and She's surprise, not very surprise. Impressive. <laughs> yeah, she's she's going to be the border czar, and she thinks, hmm. I look at that border: two million people coming across in a pandemic. I'm supposed to wear a mask after I've been vaccinated in the White House, and these guys <laughs> are just flowing across without a mask in a pandemic. I'm not going to get anywhere near that. And then she's supposed to be what? Go to funerals in Europe, cackling during solemn moments. So. Yeah. Her staff talking says, Camilla, talking to little kids on her video, like, okay, not just little kids, Sammy. Remember, uh, I'm gonna have a video with a spontaneous reaction from little kids. Hey, <laughs> go out and hire Hollywood actors and fake it like they're little kids. They were professional <laughs> actors at Oud and Odd Force. So, my point is that her staff now leak stuff about Biden because they know that Biden doesn't like her, doesn't want her. She doesn't like Biden, doesn't want him. So they're going to leak stuff that Biden has difficulties. And I mean that you start looking at some of these stories that are emanating from the left and their mm-hmm. stories like Biden went in, had to ask somebody where the bathroom was in the West Wing. Biden went into the wrong room. Biden addressed somebody who he didn't know. 
that kind of stuff that comes from her staff and some of them have quit. And then the stories have come from Biden staff that she's difficult. She's cranky. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's out of her depth. And so they gave her a bunch of crazy jobs that even, you know, Pericles would have had trouble carrying out. <laughs> it's true. I, well, you know, because I did wonder when they told her to go down to the border, I was like, well, if you were vice president and they told you to do that at a time when it was being stormed by, you know, the hordes, and the, and what the, the heck would himself, you do? What would you do? <laughs> the president and Biden himself had never been there. And, and she had he that had disastrous interview and she said, they kept pressing him. An African-American reporter said, are you going to the board? Have you ever, ever, ever been to the border? <laughs> I've never been to Europe either. So what? You know, it's <laughs> like, OK, are you insane? If yeah, you think so, about it, if you think about it, Joe Biden had won the election by hunkering down in his basement. So why not just hunker down in her? He did one thing, in though. <laughs> in his defense, he did one brilliant thing. Which was? If you're selfish and an SOB like he is, he said, screw the country. I mean, look at Donald Trump. Donald Trump did something for the country because they said Donald Trump is crazy. He has no political experience. So he went to his advisors and said, if something happens to me, who could do the job and who do people will feel will be a soothing establishment presence? In my, and it was Mike Pence. And so that actually hurt Donald Trump, because when people wanted to impeach him, they said, at least Pence isn't as bad as Trump. But Biden did the opposite in a more sinister Machiavellian way. He did the Agnew tact. His idea was she is so incompetent. She is so obnoxious and off-putting that I can be in la-la land and nobody will want me to step down under the 25th Amendment or be impeached. Because to do that, you're going to end up with her as president. So screw the country. I could have a stroke tomorrow like Woodrow Wilson and then she'd be president. We'd be in trouble. But I don't care because she's valuable to me because it kind of says good old Joe is a lot better than, you know, bad new Kamala. And so that's what he did. He kind of created an insurance policy by getting somebody so awful and mediocre that nobody in their right mind would want her. And I'm not just making this up and ranting. Joe Biden has about a 40% approval. Hers is about 35. And maybe the popularity question is about 25. So she is very disliked by the American people and not just the white, deplorable American people. I'm talking about regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of religion, people do not like her and they do not want her to be president. And that helps Joe Biden. Well, Victor, my dogs are calling an end to this podcast today. Okay. Um, thank you very much. And we started with Hunter and we ended with Harris and they're both sort of farcical, um, but we, they're very serious. Problems they're disagreeing with, the with this. I mean, they're saying, no, no, we like Kamala. Bark, bark. <laughs> We object. Yes. All right. Well, okay. with that, I think we're going to call it a day. And thank you very much, Victor. Okay.